I'm hitting record because uh, I was going to say, Dan wasn't with us on the first day that we launched this program because at the time, 12 years ago, Dan was being tortured. (laughs) Dan was being tortured doing mornings in Peterborough. Not the performance of the job. He loved the job. No, that part was good. And we brought this up recently, so I won't go into it, but just how aggravating that experience you know was for you yeah there's a man uh there was a consultant that uh basically ran the show like he was the program director so there was sure. a little bit of tension going yeah, yeah. On, even though i was program director yeah yeah so you were did you hear that did you know that dan was a program director in Peterborough? yeah were we ever program directors at the same time in peterborough i think for about yeah. five minutes maybe uh remember. yeah Frustrating little market, uh, you know, for both of us. Yes. Yep. And your guy lived on a boat, right? Like in Florida or something. Yeah. And he's giving you these archaic and fucking. Well, know. he was an old school programmer from, yeah. you know, way back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, felt old school things, you know, about all of that. So, yeah, you know, it is it's it's a bygones, as they say. It's your bygones. Anyway, that's not the point of this discussion. Oh, it is to say no. that uh, 12 years ago, Dan was not part of this program. No. Were you right. aware? <laughs> What's that? Go ahead. <laughs> saying bygones. You're one of those guys can let stuff go. Yeah. Grow up. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It takes time. Yeah. I've done the work. No, no. I'll t- see, the thing, the difference between you and Fred and I is that that guy, we would still we'd still be able to do a 20 minute hate rant. <laughs> with with the exact amount of you know emotion anyway uh, the point of all of this is were you aware in october of 2011 that your two buddies were embarking <laughs> on a new a new adventure of course i was it's a big thing for you guys to to you know get your your space and get it all ready to go and do all that was a big deal truth time now Dan. Yes. truth time okay did you think that we would be heading for success or abject failure oh i thought success for sure i was part of you know like the you know i had you guys podcasting in my you know doing the first ones in my mind no, no i know i know we house. know so i, th- but I thought somewhere in your sure heart did you predict failure no not at all. Well, yeah, but that's a that's a loaded question. Of course it is. When you say success, Howard, back then, his idea of success was it twelve years later, still doing a podcast and you know having a you know revenue from it, or success being do the podcast and you'll end up back on the radio somewhere. Because I don't think anyone twelve years ago could have even dreamed about where this platform is now. I mean, for everyone, you know. <laughs> well, the truth. I mean, I thought truth you guys time. were getting in on the ground ground floor of of the whole podcasting thing. Where, mm-hmm. to Fred's point, who knew exactly where it was going to go? Yeah. But I thought for sure that you guys, uh, of all the people that are out there, could definitely make the go of it. And uh, just because of your, your personalities, and you had a brand already, and and. Uh, there's lots of people that were around that wanted to hear you, so could, it made sense. Could you have imagined that, uh, that while you were programming and morning manning 
uh, radio station that all these years later you would be an integral part again of the Humble and no, Fred I, show broadcasting from your home that you're now taking over for Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could not. Were you still married 12 years ago? Yeah. Wow. Where were yeah. you living? Were you, were you living out in the farm? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. On the, uh, on the edge of Peterborough. That's in, right. Uh, a little Mount Pleasant. Next to the mount that was pleasant. I got it. Good toboggan down that thing. Um, Getting, being really first out of the gate with a brand, especially in this market, was a huge advantage to us. And there's just so many observations I've made over the years. And one of the observations I have made, even when we went to May Potts, when we went to May Potts, um, you know, and her Trailblazer Award. Yeah, thing we went back to um, June. We went to May Potts Night at the Blue Jays. That was great. Yes, she probably <laughs> deserves. One. They could probably have a May Potts Night at the Blue Jays, and a lot of the people would know who she was. Okay. Anyway, but I digress. Oh, that's not digressing. Um, oh, you? I'm, I'm digressing you. <laughs> I, I digressed you with my eyes. <laughs> um. So many people still say to us, "Oh, you guys were for, you guys were the first pers- uh, the uh, pioneers. You guys were like, the first one to do this. Uh, you guys were really impressed. Like, you know, the the uh, perseverance and the uh, and the commitment. And uh, you guys, yeah, 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 it's uh, it's okay. fantastic. But it, that tends to come from other announcers. We don't get that so much from anyone in management. Have you noticed that? No, none. Have you noticed that? None." So anybody that even that night, people in management positions, nobody ever says that to us. But but, you know, people in the trenches do. It's a, it's an interesting observation. Is it? Hang on a second. Uh, you know, I've made the observation from time to time uh, that uh, people would say to us, you guys are the, you know, the pioneers. You guys are the OGs. This is what people would say. And then I remember early on saying, you know, I'd heard that phrase, uh, pioneers get the arrows, settlers get the land. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of times people that do what we did, which is sort of begin the, the, certainly in terms of radio announcers doing a podcast, we were amongst the first. All the big podcasts when we started were some D, you know, like there was Adam Carolla was number one long before even actually Mark Marin came a little bit before us, but not very many people that are famous now in the podcast world. But we certainly were innovative in terms of guys that had been a, a morning show and now had been doing this. But in actual fact, we both were pioneers and we got some land as well because that mm-hmm. we we're still doing this. Long after, yes. Pardon me, sir. We go. Oh, we got a lot of arrows. arrows. <laughs> we got lots of arrows. Did we? How? Seriously? What do you mean? In which way? Well, in that uh, you know, there were bumps along the way. There were different mm-hmm. incarnations. There were different people who wanted to work with us. There were different people that came right. in and said, "Hey, I, uh, hello, fellas, I could help you." And, and there were different mm-hmm. companies that wanted to hire us. And there was different times when we, you know, had. Part of a radio job, didn't get any money, had a radio job, got some money, you know, like the, the thing about our show is it's been 12 years doing a podcast, but not always as its first priority, because there have been times where oh, yeah. where the radio show on Sirius for five years was priority. And then we turn it into a podcast, basically just the the audio we recorded on that show. But 
But there was always a podcast. There was always a podcast. Yeah. And that that um, observation by management people who just seem to re- be reluctant to, to pay that sort of, I don't know, respect or compliment, it's... It's because it gets back to what you said. It was all new territory and everybody, I think it took the radio industry by surprise on some levels, right? And then all of a sudden one day, a lot of them get up and had to scramble. We have to be part of this. And then I think part of that is, you know what those people are like. They want to sort of lay stake or they want to be sure the groundbreaker. They want to be the person that gets the credit for being the first and... It was like like anything. Everybody just sort of fucking grabbing their piece of the territory. But think about it. If you're in management and two guys like us who had a bit of a profile, not just amongst listeners, but in the industry. And that's one thing that has been great is that we've always gotten, as you said, respect or compliments from other announcers. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the biggest announcers, you know, guys like Roger Ashby and people like that, that literally have said to us, I could never do this. Mm-hmm. Um but if you're in management and you see a couple of guys like us going rogue, then you got to start thinking, okay, well, what if some of my, what if now if we fire our announcers, they'll have something to do. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a place for them to go. Well, what did we say to people after starting the podcast and people would lose their jobs or they were afraid they were going to lose their jobs? You can't be silenced now. You could be fired one day and still have your voice out there the next day. Now, we were saying this to people in 2012, 2013. It was hard for them to get their head around as it was for us when we first started. What exactly are we doing? We're doing this podcast. Remember thinking about distribution. Okay, it's one thing to do it. How are people going to hear it? And the leaps and bounds of progress that has taken place for accessibility. So I remember at the time people thinking, well, what do you mean? Well, you could do a podcast. Well, I don't know if I can. Well, the the point is you can if you want. And it was that option that uh, was pretty liberating for a lot of people. I think we're both saying the same thing in different ways. Yeah. That, that that the idea of us doing this was a bit of a not, not scary. For, and first of all, it's, it's, a, it's a harbinger. It's a, is that the word? It's a, a sign of change in the industry and mm-hmm. people who are in the industry and management are the last people who's last people who want to have to change because they're, they have a, a model that's yes. been doing pretty well for a while. Um, I'll tell you what, let's officially start the show. And uh, there's more about this. I, I've got some, uh, some interesting stuff that I picked off from an article that was written about us. Uh, 12 years and two days ago in the Toronto star, we were the feature uh, story in the entertainment section. And uh, I went and clipped. I, Dan, what I well, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Just start the show, Dan. Uh, this episode yeah, of Humble that. and Fred I is know. being broadcast to the world from our state-of-the-art Humble and Fred Studios in Toronto, from our well-equipped Brampton facility with a winterized pool, and from Lisa's dining room table in Peterborough with a placemat where I put my coffee. And is brought to you by the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Boron One, EVNet.ca, Palma Pasta, and. Stretch Lab Toronto. And now here are two men who feel they support farmers during your bountiful harvest season by eating. It's the Horn of Plantiers celebrating their 12th anniversary as potters. It's Humble and Fred. Um, Tony Clement is going to be on today. He was supposed to do tomorrow, but Lumby couldn't do today, so Lumby's doing tomorrow. Uh, that's your official program guide. I was thinking um, while you were talking about distribution. 
because our orish, our original plan, and yes, we've it's we've said this a million times. We thought we were doing this to get a radio job, and and in in a lot of ways it did work out that way. But uh, our our we our original plan was we'd have a website, humbleandfredradio.com, and that's bit that's about as much as we understood. And think about twelve years later, we predate Spotify. I'm not sure about Apple iTunes. I mean, guys, maybe we were on iTunes. Probably. There was no podcast chart on iTunes. I know that. Howard, when we first started doing this, you had to go to our website to listen to it. That's what I said. Yeah, I know. And then you had to go to our website to listen to it. Or there was a way on your phone if you sort of down like went to our website and there was this little tiny arrow at the bottom you could it was possible on your phone but way beyond the knowledge or interest of most people to actually want to do it it was uh weird i had this conversation yesterday with a couple of guys that are doing some work here and they asked me if i was the humble from the humble and fred show and they're guys you know listen to us on the edge and i said that you know when we started the podcast because I, I said when we started a podcast you'd never heard of one and and these were guys that work big machines and they're like absolutely i said but i promise you everyone on this crew today they know what one is maybe they've listened to it mm-hmm. um we've had you know we used to go up to people and say let me let me here sh- let me show you on your phone because it wasn't readily available yeah and then that we got you know the app, which really helped. But even that, people at the time were going, "That app? What do you mean? How do you do? How do you do that?" Like, I mean, we were quick out of the gate with apps, and that app still lives. The guys at Red Piston did for us. Doesn't you know, really updated every. Absolutely, you can go and get the Humble and Fred app, and the show is updated on it every day. If you want to go directly for there, um, but remember, I think in the early days too. We were on, like, iTunes, but you had to go to an iTunes file. (laughs) Like, there was three or four steps before you could actually get there and click on any particular show that you wanted. This was before all the aggregate. um, All the aggregators, yeah. Yeah, all the aggregators. So, So a couple weeks Mm -hmm. before we launched in October of 2011... Vinay Menon, who had done a big article on us years ago, was a big Humble and Fred fan, wrote an article about the uh, beginning of our this new chapter in our lives. And, and I went down on the it's on the it's on the basement steps. This big article, it says Humble, the Humble and Fred. It's the pod couple. Humble and Fred beginnings, uh, the pod couple. So here's how he describes it. Uh, you know, he talked about how in radio you used to change uh, stations and. You know, one day you're thriving in a large market, the next you're gone. At least that used to be the cycle. But if Howard Glassman and Fred Patterson, Humble and Fred, have their way, there may be life after radio death. This is my first favorite line. In a makeshift studio in a low-rise building on a desolate street in Etobicoke. (laughs) 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 I I, I thought, if nothing, how how perfectly does that sum up the beginning of our show on a desolate street in Etobicoke in a makeshift studio. Humble and Fred are planning to reboot and rebottle the madcap alchemy. And then he goes on. So I picked out, a, which I thought was a great, it's such a great description. That's why, Dan, I was, I was going to say, if you hadn't written the intro. And now oh, from a, told me. a low-rise building on a again. desolate street. There was uh, a couple of houses on that street that had like, you know, living room couches on the front porch. I remember. That's right. 
Which I always felt was <laughs> odd. So but. I picked out a couple quotes, one from Fred that, and one from me inside the article that describes what we thought was going to happen or how we thought things would go. This is from Fred. And uh, he says, it's funny, but what we really know, he means it's interesting. <laughs> Fred says, it's funny because people say, oh, geez, you're both unemployed right now. That's Patterson, 55, who was fired from Peterborough's The Peterborough's the Wolf in July. Fred goes on to say, it should be no trouble getting a job on the radio. Everybody would want Humble and Fred. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm saying that. Uh, yes. No. As, yeah. I was, okay. Well, I was trying to make that. Yes, that's Fred saying, ah, uh, no. Right. And then he goes on to describe where he's sitting. And then my quote is, I say, it's a little bit scary some days thinking we have to make this work, says Glassman, 51. And then I go on to be quoted, this has to work because right now, this is the only monetary thing we are doing. <laughs> I've forgotten it. That sounds a little bit scary. This has to work because I was only, I was 51 at the time. You're 55 at the time. And now we look at 51-year-olds and 55-year-olds and we're like, what are those punks up to? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know why I didn't I I didn't suffer more anxiety at that time because it was pretty. I don't know. Maybe again, I lived it, uh, w- with the thought in my head that it would turn into a radio job, and again, which it did, but not the type of radio jobs that we thought we might end up with. Let's be honest. And to our credit, and I was going to say this a, a bit earlier, we we kept doing the podcast. Like, when we were doing those radio jobs, like the one in Kingston, um, remember, we would do the show and then do an hour and a half podcast. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was discipline because we knew at the time it was very important to keep that podcast alive. We could have easily got that radio job, for instance, because it didn't pay that bad, uh, relatively, and just thought, oh, okay, we don't have to do the podcast now. But we did, and that was so important at the time. Yeah, we did a uh, radio show, and that happened pretty quickly. That happened by the spring of 2012. So we started in 2011. By the spring of 2012, we had a gig where we could do our radio show from Toronto. And again, we had visions of being the syndicated Humble and Fred slash Stern thing. And it was in the works. It was in the works. And, you know, everything was (laughs) was Mm -hmm. going according to plan until people gang hated us. But uh, but we did it. We did like six. I think we did six to nine doing a disc jockey show playing four or five. We we played only a few songs. We probably that's probably part of it. We played maybe four songs an hour. So we had lots of content. And then I don't know if we did an extra hour and a half. Well, we did an extra hour. Yeah, we, we, well, whatever. It what, was, yeah. We, we, yeah, it wasn't. We did quite a bit, and that, that's why I mean, we like did six to mm-hmm. ten or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so thanks to I guess we want to say thanks to everyone that supported us because here we are, twelve years later, about to uh, you know tomorrow begins the thirteenth year of this thing, and uh, we're 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 not in any conversations to stop at any time soon, and you know certainly considering the uh support and outpouring of uh good uh, wishes and vibes from people that you know why would we stop doing it you know you talk about timing and maybe being ahead of our time and whatever um but if we were still 51 
and the opportunity for that sort of networking or syndication idea that was floating around in 2012, if that was now and we were of that age, I'm sure it would happen so quickly, so fast, because now all the stations are doing it. Like there's, you know, the morning show in Hamilton, I think, for choruses through all the markets in southern Ontario. And there's so many examples of that going on now where back then it was like, well, that was a big move to do that. Nobody was doing it, but we were on our way and then it got shut down along the way. And and by the way, that was our idea. Mm-hmm. We at, mm-hmm. at one point, Dan, again, you were programming in morning, but, but our one of our when we first got approached by. Rogers and and just to pause for a second, Julie Adams. We've talked about her for a long time, but you know she was the first person in real radio to mm-hmm. listen to our podcast and go, guys, you're on to something. And we've yes. talked, we've had talked endlessly about how much help she gave us. But when they started talking to us about doing a morning show, Fred and I thought, hey, we could build a nice little living here if we were the morning show for ten small markets. We didn't need to be in a Toronto, mm-hmm. Calgary, Edmonton, but just if we mm-hmm. did, like, you know, um, Kingston-sized markets across the country at the rate they were paying us, which wasn't bad, though. Mm-hmm. You know, we could have made a pretty good living, but we couldn't get past the hurdle of people in these small markets having a stink on about Toronto. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into how much better our show was, but it's too bad because, as you're saying... Just- at ahead of its time. Yeah, as you say now, it's so it's all done now. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't make a difference at all at this point. No, wouldn't, wouldn't no difference. And I think the problem with us right now is, to be honest, well, me in particular is age. You know, it's well, it is though. No, I but like I'm so much younger than you. Well, you're four years younger than no, me, I know. But. Dan, when did you um, when did you join us? What do you mean? I mean, for the podcast? <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> when did you start? You used to pop in occasionally. Are you in your, what year are you in? Two, yes. three, a couple? I don't know. Yeah, two to three, somewhere in there. Two. Two, probably, because I, I remember being up the lake hall last year. So, yeah, before that. So, about two and a half years, maybe. But in the early years, whenever you came on the show, we had to pay a double scale, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had to pay him double scale, and his wiener had to go triple scale. <laughs> Well, there you mm-hmm. go. See, uh, now we've done a little dick joke segue. We can move on to something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. 12 years, Humble and Fred Radio celebrating today. Um, you know, pretty excited. And, uh, you know, I was just looking back in that article and, you know, we certainly didn't know then. I, I certainly couldn't have predicted because I'll say one last thing because of the money. You know, I quickly became, you know, in charge of sales or helping Bill in charge of sales. But I had somehow in my mind thinking, oh, we'll just people will just line up. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. It took a while. Well, they still don't. It's a lot of hard work. No, you're right. They still don't. But it's 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 you know, it's that hasn't been as easy as I thought it was going to be. No, and it doesn't hurt that when you get some of the clients that we have gotten over the years, pretty impressive name brands, when you approach a new one, they, you know, we can reference them now as they have been part of this, and that really helps. And how often we talk to people. Who did we speak to last week? Oh, it was um, Kevin Frankish has a podcast, but, you know, he's very frustrated not being able to monetize it. Well, 
But all I could say, we could say, is just hang in there because even as we speak, the landscape is changing. More and more people are looking at podcasts. You know, you can spend the same amount of money on a thousand podcasts that you can spend on one radio station. Yeah. It's starting to make sense. Well, listen, and the, the fact that I was reading from an article in the Toronto Star on the weekend that we started has to do has to do everything. Has sorry, let me try that sentence. Has everything to do with the fact that we had brand equity to start. Yes. And uh, it would be uh, wrong if we didn't say thanks, first of all, to all the sponsors we have now. But in particular, two of them that have been with us over five years, the Chamber Plan and the Retirement Sherpa. Fred? Yeah, the Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan, Canada's number one group benefits plan for small business. That's what it is. Uh, Listen, small business. Do you need a benefits package? Go to chamberplan.ca. Get all the information you need on how you can do this for your employees. And I mean, that's the way to look at it. It's a nice gesture to your employees. You love them. They do a great job for you. Well, again, this is possible for small business. You just got to take the time to investigate. You know, prescriptions and dental and uh, certain kinds of therapy and they have an HR component. That's valuable. Yes, it is for a small business. Just think about that. And mental health since COVID. Huge issue. And uh, they've stayed on top of that issue. So think about it. Go to uh, chamberplan.ca today. Get a free quote. Chamberplan.ca. One of our newest sponsors, the Electric Vehicle Network, Rent Electric. Go to rentelectric.ca. Still waiting to hear how our uh, winner did and what uh, vehicle they got for the weekend. You can get one, too. Uh, Right now, you can get $40 off your first rental. Use the voucher Humble EV when you call 1-800-387-9391. It's not just Teslas. There's the Chevy uh, and the Nissan Leaf, and uh, there's the Bolt and the uh, Kona. If you're a business owner and you want to offer an EV car sharing service to your employees or clients, if you live in a multi-residential building with EV charging abilities and like a car share program on site, give them a call. Uh, They know how to do all of this. Rentelectric.ca is that uh, place. Now, Dan, uh, before you leave uh, for uh, to go gather your news, like a like a, a mother lion going out into the Serengeti to kill a hyena for her offspring, <laughs> and then gather okay. the news from that hyena. Uh huh. Sharing the hyena guts as news is the plan. <laughs> wow, that's quite the. <laughs> I know it's a long way to go. It's quite the yeah. metaphor. Well, you know, you started down the road and you had to keep had, going. But where, well, where else was yeah. I going to go? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I want to uh, mention it is also the anniversary. Today, five years ago, the uh, government of Canada made marijuana, marijuana legal in Canada. And um, I just wanted you to be part of this discussion because, you know, there's probably nobody in my life. In fact, I'll say that. There's no one in my life I've smoked more weed with than you. And some of the happiest moments in my life, Dad, have been being high with you and eating freezies. Yeah, we watched a few uh, science fiction shows watched together. Watched a lot of sci-fi together. Yeah. Maybe that's why yeah. I don't like it as much anymore. I'm not stoned as much. Yeah. And you were the first uh, you were the first guy that I ever smoked uh, around. That's exactly. I, I got you started or something like that. Yeah. Did you try and get him on cigarettes at any point? 
<laughs> yeah. I said, hey, if you like weed, you're going to love cigarettes. Um, no, but I think I, I think I upped Dan's alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Stats Canada. Cannabis sector is valued at $10.8 billion five years later. An increase from the $6.4 billion valuation it held when, when it was legal. So there was already a cannabis industry for uh, medical marijuana and such. But a far cry from uh, the potential. Here's what it was predicted by Deloitte in 2018 that this sector was going to be a $22 billion industry. And it's not even half that. They thought by now it would be that? Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's now started to decline, in fact. Uh, layoffs, plant closures, bankruptcies, plummeting stock prices. Why did it happen? Yeah, I know. I read a, a long article on the weekend about it and how uh, a lot of these guys are just hurting. What they thought, again, getting, getting back to the projections you just had, they expected so much more out of the industry. But their costs and then their revenue streams, they're just too wonky. Yeah. It's not working for, not working for a, lot of, uh, a lot of them. And to get back to the beginning of this show and as the show evolved, remember when it, five years ago, when it was first uh, legalized, we thought, wow, this might be a cash cow for us as far as advertising go. Do you see any of them advertising anywhere? Well, first I of all, we, I don't. And but to be fair, we did get a lot of pot advertising. We, we made oh, no out of the gate. Out of the it, gate, yeah, it wasn't sustainable at all because the but revenue. We, we got there. a couple of good years out of it, and then it just started because mm-hmm. for a while there, yeah. Dan, we had pot companies and uh, organizations. No, yeah, yeah. And uh, this was just before you joined us, Canada Cabana. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some of the others. I was on the cover of High Canada Magazine. According to this article, and you're right, Fred, the, uh, here's what they say. They say, uh, oh, here are the factors, uh, fickle supply and demand, advertising restrictions, THC limits that have helped the black market stay afloat, and unfair taxation rates. Pot taxes, of course, it's government, were devised when most thought weed would sell for $10 a gram. As that number nears three fifty a gram today, sellers are still are strapped for cash because they're still being taxed as though it were ten dollars a gram. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's not a percentage, I guess. It must be. A- I guess there's just an. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, and there's there's been a and because of a lot of those issues, there's been a return to the black market. People have yeah. gotten out of the industry who actually had licenses to sell and are back in the black market because it's more lucrative. Again, just think about that. Overhead, a building, you know, upkeep, uh, government regulations, uh, restricted costs, and none of that you have as a guy that sells it out of your garage. 70% of weed purchasers, Fred, are now legal. So that means still 30% are being guys, you know, selling mm-hmm. it on the street. Uh, they say here in the article that changes to the Cannabis Act that would potentially alleviate some industry problems could be on the way. I'll tell you, I, it's, probably, I, it's probably time for a review for that anyway, because, you know, like the, the, everybody thought something was going to happen. Yeah. Was, you know, and then it, it really didn't pan out the way everyone thought it was like the, the world didn't come to an end. Like like some people thought, you know, yeah. like at the beginning of this. 
that 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 statistic you gave it's just got me thinking so you said 70% are legal so the day before legalization 100% were illegal no there was a percentage okay. before legalization that there there had been a few years of this gray market i was part of okay. it where you could get cannabis uh, really loose rules around medical cannabis, but yes, let's okay. say a, a, a still a large percentage was illegal prior to that day. Well, you know, that's interesting that a lot of people decided they would no longer get it through the black market and enjoyed the experience of going into a shop. But obviously that's on the decline too. And when those numbers, you know, manifest, it'll be interesting to see how quickly they do. Well, this as a, a guy mm-hmm. that came, okay, you know, up until a year ago when my heart mm-hmm. screwed up again, I uh, basically smoked weed every day, not all day, but at some point in the evening, I'd have a puff or two every day. And the convenience, see, that's what I really was thinking of as a longtime guy that was always like asking someone, you know, someone who's got some weed. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, it was easy to buy weed. Like I was buying, Dan, I was buying those vape pens several years before legalization because they were just everywhere. The the ones with the little... So yeah. what I found as a pot smoker, the convenience of just walking out my door and like, oh yeah, I, I can go and get anything I want right now. I don't have to arrange it and then meet some guy down at a place. Mm-hmm. Which is huge. Absolutely. I thought it would be huger. I, I really mm-hmm. did. And I, you know, I'm happy to admit that I lost some money in this. Quite a bit of money. What in investing in one of the girls? Well, I haven't lost. Think? Yeah, I, I haven't lost it yet. But me and Fraser, we put in, you know, a pretty sizable amount of money and bought a share. Bought shares in. I won't tell you which company, but it was a. It wasn't a, in a dispensary. It was a, a big company that grows weed and just you know and distributes it. And we, the money's still there. But we were just thinking we were going to quintuple our money within the first year, and now we're trying to find somebody to buy our stock. Well, that's it. I know somebody that, you know, he's pretty good at getting in and getting out. And he got in and got out. And, uh, you know, I mean, I bet that's a whole, that's a well, stock hey, issue. No, but if you bought, listen, mm-hmm. in the early days, prior to, mm-hmm. we, like, there was, I know who you're talking about. And I know lots it of guys. shot up, yeah. It, well, Canopy, all yeah. those companies, mm-hmm. they were huge. Like, mm-hmm. if you got Canopy, I'm thinking that was the bigger one. At, when it was a penny stock, you made oh, yeah. m- multiples of multiples. And uh, but I bought stock in the actual company. We we bought it before it became a. It has and it's not trading publicly yet. Just thinking, wow, what I was going to put my money in for a couple of years, and then we were going to take the giant profits and go golfing somewhere. But mm-hmm. it's not happened. You know, um, the the thing that's always got me about the the marijuana industry is. You know, you can't make gas in your garage or grow it in your backyard. You can't do that with, you know, cocaine necessarily or higher grade drugs, however you want to refer to them. The problem with marijuana is you can do a pretty good job just growing it in your backyard. Now, I know it takes a lot of, you know, nurturing and then curing and all the, the process. But the problem is it's readily available. You know, most things that make a lot of money, there's sort of, you know... The the resistance to entry is is a lot tougher. Like if somebody really loves pot, they can just go in their backyard and mm. learn how to grow it and cure it. I, I agree. Process it. I, but and, I yeah. only agree to a point. Mm-hmm. Most people mm-hmm. aren't. Most again, that's why seventy percent of the of the industry is still people buying it because right. You know what percentage of people do anything on their own? 
You know, your butt's your oh, right. No, I get it. L- yeah. Listen, my buddy, I have a buddy who lives out north of you who grew a ton of it out there mm-hmm. illegally. And every year got a huge crop of it. And I, I, Dan, you've smoked some of it. It's that sort of, it's decent. It's not, you know, it's not as bad as homemade wine. Or beer. Or beer. But it's, <laughs> it's not like the, but, but you're right. The, the barrier for entry, you could always grow it yourself and have a decent crop of it. But most people uh, aren't uh, going to do that. A friend of ours that Dan and I know. A couple of years ago, you go to his house and when you leave, a parting gift is a jar of, of weed. Right. Yeah. Because he grows like three or four big stalks outside and he's got it down where I guess he enjoys his product. He's refined it enough. Fantastic. Anyway, that's the point. The thing is, there is an option there. And if it becomes more expensive and a lot of these shops close, I mean, getting it isn't like if there's a gas shortage. No, I, I get what you're saying. You know but I mean? but yeah. the fact is. Think about it for and again for three fifty a gram. Oh yeah, the ag- and how why much, would you? Why would you? But again, mm-hmm. I'm the same with my buddy up north of you. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go there, I used to go every time I leave, he hand me an ounce of weed. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I still have some of the weed you gave me last time because it's not that good. Uh, Dan, where do you get your weed from? Since you're still a weed smoker, uh, I would go to a store. Yeah, and you know what I like about it is that it is regulated. That you know the the, the product there has to be that's you know, true too at a certain level, and that really that's sure. great about that. Especially if you're doing an edible or something like that. Therein lies the key to it: the the industry survival. I believe you know exactly what you're getting in these days of. Uh, yeah, that's right. Fent- you know, lace, what's uh, you never know yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, Plus, I, it, remember, remember way back when the American government was spraying with pot plants with something that would make it bad, like do something to you medically. Okay, I can't remember what it was, but there was a time there that that put put it in mind the, the little seed in my brain that maybe you know don't have the same kind of quality control about you know caring about the human being uh, that's consuming it. Sure, that's the problem. Well, there you go. So, so, and, and, and I used to do this joke. I can't remember exactly, but it's so five years ago they made pot legal on this day in October of twenty uh, whatever that is, twenty eighteen. A couple days later, and this is a true story. The government ran out of their own weed. <laughs> like, oh yeah, they yeah, ran out of that. weed. Yeah. And and I remember doing this joke at the time. So I was doing Sam like, Did they not think that this was going to be a fairly popular item? Did they not <laughs> anticipate there might be? They don't stock up a little bit. I said, I guarantee you, when Doug Ford was selling hash out of the back of his car, he never ran out of pot. But uh, mm. I don't know. That, that that always made me laugh that there was this. There was this somebody in the government's typical government, right? Somebody in the government was like, I don't know. I don't know if this, if anyone's going to want this. Really? You know, um, Lumby was going to come on today, but he's coming on tomorrow instead. Yes. And apparently he wants to talk about that be, uh, bill C-11. What, do I have that right? Uh, that something is, something yeah, bill right. C-11. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is the government is going to be sticking their nose in. Not to the level a lot of people think they are. But into the whole in, you know, the online industry and, you know, your access to whatever and who should pay tax and who shouldn't and who should be regulated and who shouldn't. And watch watch the clusterfuck that turns into now. Oh, yeah. Because the government getting involved. Exactly. Um, you know? We were doing just fine. You know, that's the other thing I used to think. I said, yeah, they made uh, they made pot legal. Surprise me because I always thought it was legal. 
Like, I <laughs> think about it. Because I, I, I've been buying it, so have you, Dan, since we were teenagers. Like, not that I, I mean, obviously, I knew it was illegal, but I knew I was never going to go. I mean, that, at the levels you and I have been buying it our whole lives, our whole lives, mm-hmm. we were never going to jail for the half an ounce or quarter ounce we would buy at a time. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, no, especially, you know, being the middle class, you know, white dudes. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. They made it legal. But like, really? How, how does that differ? Yeah. Other than on either side of this building, there is a, sh- a shop I can go into. And there's a variety of marijuana and marijuana related products. That's mm-hmm. different. And that's why, it, you know, for decades, really, the government, the police, whatever, overlooked simple possession yes it wasn't a thing anymore they were more concerned about again the mass distribution by whoever in the black market just because of tax revenue these people were making hundreds of thousands of dollars and not paying tax on it either so now you know if 70 percent of people are buying it legal now look at that tax revenue that's why they stuck their nose in it and yeah. why wouldn't they and of course the government because it's regulated has made it I still remember this. Every buying some single, like some uh, five joint packs, where I I couldn't get the pack open because I was too stoned. Like they they made them like kid proof, but I was like banging it open with a hammer. Uh, Dan Duran will rejoin us with some news. Uh, Dan's going to go off and uh, kill a hyena. I think is what he's going to do. Hyena guts, right? Yeah, uh, and bring that back to the tr- to the pride. Yeah. Tony Clement will be uh, with us in a few minutes' time. Why don't we uh, also continue uh, catching up on some of our fine supporters? Uh, like the retirement Sherpa, Tim Niblett, a uh, portfolio manager. Raymond James, a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund. Uh, Tim will be by tomorrow, and uh, we always enjoy his visits, do we not? In this week, he's going to be talking about uh, are your investments tax effective? You know, stuff like capital gains and non-registered, uh, the best growers of uh, tax-free savings accounts. Again, whatever the issue is when it comes to investing, it's there's more to it than you think. And you need a guy like Tim Niblett to help you. And as you've noticed over the past few years, he knows his stuff. Very successful. He's the retirement Sherpa. RetirementSherpa.ca. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to mention that uh, we're going to be doing a quite a few emails. Uh, we got a lot of people has uh, have reached out to me, including our next guest, and uh, reached out. And uh, finally, there's been this outpouring now of people and their opinions about the situation in the Middle East. Uh, which we're going to get into here in a second with Tony. But, uh, of course, our emails are brought to you by Palma Pasta. What a wonderful group of people. Uh, real Italian food. Like, this is not... You know, like, if you haven't had it, just treat yourself. There's four locations. One in Oakville, three in Mississauga. If you can't make it, you can order online anywhere in the city. PalmaPasta.com. They cater anywhere in the GTA. Wow, uh, Palma Pasta, Italian tradition, simply delicious. Howard, I was on site yesterday, Delice, my sweet little wife and I had lunch there, and I had, get this, the pork chop with pineapple salsa with a side of rice. For, for lunch, yeah, they have hot yeah. lunches there, it's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic, I was surprised, a pork chop with pineapple salsa, wonderful. Check it out. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I did the same thing. I, you know, I, I, it's a little thing, I, and it's a bit of a hack I'll pass on. If you're going to go to Palmas Kitchen to shop and you haven't had lunch yet, don't do it because you're just going to mm. go crazy. What we did, and Spencer and I did this, is we both got our lunch. And Spencer got, again, some hot lunch, some pork schnitzel with, you know, covered in onions and sauce and mm. like incredible. And then you go shopping. Yeah. Doll had the stuffed pasta. The stuffed pasta with cheese and some meatballs and just she was Howard. She raved about it. She well, you know, raved it, about it. If I may say, you know, at Palma, at Palma Pasta, Palma's Kitchen, they're not screwing yes. around. Okay. No, no, they're serious. They're, they're serious. serious. They're serious they're business serious. people. One, two, yeah. What? Absolutely nothing. Uh-huh. Welcome back to our show. Former assistant prime minister of this country. And a uh, regular contributor uh, over the uh, years that we've done this podcast. Now, uh, beginning our 12th, or, I'm sorry, ending our 12th year, beginning our 13th year. Uh, one of the uh, joys has been to interact with people like this gentleman. Uh, first as a guest, uh, then as a now regular contributor. Unpaid, by the way. <laughs> Unpaid contributor. Please say hello to Tony Clement. Hey, Tony. Hello, everybody. Good to see you, Tone. Good to see you. Um, I got a great uh, note from Tony yesterday, and as I guess you had heard me, I don't even know what you call it, just uh, lamenting or being uh, venting a little bit last week on the program about sort of the lack of response. Again, not just for me, but for this thing that had happened, this worldwide phenomenon. And I'll read you quickly Tony's note. He says, I've been remiss, but I hope you're staying safe in these crazy times. I have family in Israel, so I was focused on that. Plus, I've been overwhelmed with my feelings as well. And uh, first of all, thank you. That was very kind of you, as I said. And I think you represent, that represents the, uh, uh, the nub of what most people have said to me and Fred over the last five or six days. So we'll just begin there. You have family there? Who is, who's your family there? My uh, mother's uh, sister's son, uh, whom I met for the very first time when I was in Jerusalem in July. Uh, His name is Gershon. He lives in Galilee uh, and, uh, you know, former IDF, as they all are, Israeli Defense Forces. And um, so I've been in, you know, more or less daily contact with him. He's not on the front lines, but uh, if you know anything about Israel, Everybody knows somebody who's on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows somebody who was affected by the Hamas terrorism attack. It, it, it affected, you know, I went there in July, Howard. The next time I go to Israel, which I will do at some point, it'll be a totally different country because these attacks have changed everything, I think, mm-hmm. for that country. And, and not all for obviously in a, in a very negative way. Do young people there still um, have to enlist for like a couple of years or something? Is that still part of the the yes. situation there? Yeah. Yes. Yes, they mm-hmm. do. Uh, and I'm sure Howard wants to add to this, but there's a segment of the population, the ultra orthodox religious Jews, who are exempt from that, and that creates a bit of a schism in that society that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. At some point, they'll have to deal with that because the, the fastest growing part of the population 
are the ultra orthodox, yeah. and yet you are exempt from military service, which saves the nation. They're like they're like the Jewish Amish. They're all having like seven kids. Yeah. Tony Joe Biden's going there today for whatever reason. I'm, I'm sure valid, and you know the world take no, takes notice when the president of the United States goes into the middle of a conflict. I mean, obviously, big news. What part does Canada to play? In this, does anybody take us seriously? Is anybody is Justin Trudeau doing anything today of any significance that would influence this all? Or are we just we're way down the totem pole? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think Israel is is was happy with um, the wording that Justin Trudeau used uh, to uh, um, to characterize the Hamas attacks as what they were terrorism. Uh, and I'm sure that was noted. Uh, but uh, I'm afraid I have to agree with you, Fred, that we're very well way down. Right. Uh, in terms of influence. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we don't have the resources. You, you may recall mm-hmm. last week there was a, a, a joint statement by what was called the G5. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it was all of the G7 except for Japan, who don't have any Jews, uh, and Canada. Uh, uh, talking about the terrorism attack and uh, how we have to be in solidarity. So, how are we left off that list? Because we yeah. got we got we got Jews. Yeah, I know, I know. This is what we're all asking ourselves: Why were we not on that list? Uh, was it an oversight, or was it deliberate, or was did Mr. Trudeau not want to sign on, or who knows? Mm-hmm. I do not know. Sort of answers my question too, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about the geopolitical. I mean, I, I mean, if if by now most people listening haven't done a little reading, I suggest you do because it's so it's it's as I mentioned in my discussion in my little essay there last week about. I understand that it's a complicated issue, and what's what i said yesterday was it's interesting to me as a person who's not religious but i was born jewish how people can go from israel has done something to the palestinians this is their reaction but globally this is an opportunity for us to hate jews because jews aren't because i'm i'm not an israeli i'm just a jewish guy from somewhere out in saskatchewan why is it all why does that always happen I mean, I know you, and you're, and I know as a as a Christian, you have a biblical perspective too. What what is it about that where we can't separate the country, the government, the actions from the religion? Well, uh, all I can say in answer to that was, "Twas ever thus." Yeah. It's been going on for thousands of years like that, and uh, it is uh, the special the special burden of the Jewish community that uh, these acts of hatred, uh, sometimes really bad and sometimes just bad, yeah. uh, uh, happen. And uh, I, I was shocked as well. I mean, there are I, – I, I did listen to your, your last podcast on this, and uh, there are some hopeful signs. Uh, I think it was a poll done in the U.S. 70% of – the American population have great sympathy with Israel right now after the attacks. And I think another 24% had some sympathy. So that's a pretty high percentage. I don't know of any polls in Canada, but uh, I did take some comfort when there was uh, the rally uh, uh, in solidarity with Israel that happened last week at Mel Lassman Square 
there were 15,000 people who showed up, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty telling indicator of, of where the Canadian or at least the Toronto population is on this. So I, I, and I know, you know, that it's going to get worse, obviously, uh, when uh, Israel does ramp up to eradicate Hamas, which they do have to do, in my opinion, uh, in order to guarantee their own safety and security, there's going to be a lot of pushback and there will probably be you know, anti-Jew incidents around the world. I know from my Jewish friends uh, as well how unsafe they feel right now. There's probably Muslims who feel unsafe. Uh, you know, uh, this is just a terrible thing that is happening. Um, but uh, the, the brunt of it, I predict, will be the Jewish population. They'll have to take it. It's, it's just a terrible fact of life. And a part of the uh, Palestinian population is going to have to take it, too, because I would hate to be, you know, in those strategy rooms, whatever, those war rooms. At some point, there's no way that you can go in there and save every hostage and protect every child, woman and child, which seem to be, you know, the the people that we can we're con- most concerned with and why wouldn't we be but at some point I mean, I mean it's impossible to protect them all so you have to make the decision we're going in and some of those people are going to die that's got to be tough and i guess that's the situation they're in right now very t- very tough and uh you you know fred uh, we all know that hamas uses the mm-hmm. population as shields i, I would say there are 200 Israeli hostages and there are 2 million Palestinian hostages yeah. by Hamas right now. And that's that's the way I look at it. It's a terrible situation. I, uh, Howard, you mentioned President Biden's trip. Uh, yeah, I think part of the reason he's going is to show solidarity, to try to deter Iran from acting in some, um, some nefarious way, uh, which would escalate the conflict to a, a massively regional conflict. Uh, but I think he's also sitting down with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu to say, okay, what are the plans f- to preserve as many lives as possible, civilian lives mm-hmm. in, in Gaza? What's your plan, as, assuming that you take control of Gaza in a, in a matter of weeks or months? What do you, what, what's the plan then? Yeah. Because uh, Biden has made it clear, and he's absolutely right, Israel cannot govern Gaza. They don't want to govern Gaza. They they left Gaza. Yeah, two thousand six or seven, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you know what what exactly is the plan? And that's the part I wanted to talk about too, because I you know we've been and and again it's heartbreaking because you you because you it's it would be so easy if it was so if it was clear cut these are the good guys these are the bad guys but because it's so there's such a a layered and nuanced. Uh, effect because obviously people that are pro-Palestinian believe that the Israelis are the bad guys and vice versa. But there's this other group in the middle, the Hamas, which don't really represent all Palestinians, but they're they're mucking up the middle of it. And and I don't believe this is the part I wanted to get to. Listening to as much coverage as I have the last few days, I don't see. Maybe you guys can help me out. How can they go in there without? extracting two things, huge civilian casualties and a nightmarish worldwide PR disaster. What what, how could they do it? There's already hundreds of thousands of people that they said go south. There's about to be a humanitarian crisis there that is only going to be blamed on the Israelis. Yeah. Yeah. Even though uh, one could. Mm-hmm. 
one could say that Hamas is the reason for the humanitarian crisis. A, 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 per, a person who wanted to have a nuanced conversation could. Right. But we're not having a lot of nuance mm. these days. You're absolutely No, exactly. I mean, yeah, you could have that discussion, but most people won't. I think that it's safe to say that uh, most Israelis have concluded, including the leadership, that they have no choice, mm-hmm. that they, they have to go in, uh, they have to eradicate Hamas as a leadership group and as a governing group in the Gaza, or otherwise these attacks will continue and be even bolder. The, the fact is, this attack on Israeli home soil and how horrific it was means that Israel, which used a credible deterrence as its way to prevent these things from happening, have lost all credible deterrence right now. They have to regain it. I know that means lives and 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 carnage. I, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle that. But take it from an Israeli point of view, they would say, we can be attacked every day, every week, every month, because... They they now know that they they can do it. Mm-hmm. So we, mm-hmm. have to, we have to regain the ability to deter that kind of behavior. So that's that's the uh, otherwise there is no Israel left. They, they, they literally will be pushed into the sea. So that's what they're trying to do. And what the Americans are trying to do is to bolster that and say, we've got your back. Israel. We've got two aircraft carrier groups in the eastern Mediterranean right now. Uh, Iran, if you intervene, there will be a price to pay. Syria, if you intervene, there'll be a price to pay. Russia, if you intervene, there'll be a price to pay. So that's uh, that's what the American that's what the American message has to be. Let's look at the Palestinian uh, side. You're not connected to Hamas. You don't even really like Hamas as, as your government, but you're a Palestinian who's lived through a lot over the past couple of decades. What does it take for a person like that to actually side with Hamas right now? We see it here. It was in Mississauga on the weekend. Yeah. There was people that actually, they don't like Hamas, but they totally understand and agree with what they did because it had to be done. What do you say to a person like that? Do they, you know, none of us can relate to something until we've lived through it. And, you know, Howard and I were having this conversation. What make what has a person been through for them to look at Hamas, even someone living in Canada and go, yeah, you know, they're not my choice for government, but I understand why they did that. You know, Israel deserved it. Yeah, I think that's human nature. Is it, is it not? And uh, the, the, the desire for an eye for an eye. Mm-hmm. embedded in humanity and sometimes we try to use religion to deter that kind of thinking other times religion is used to enhance that kind yeah. of thinking you know, you know what? I, I, think, I think we're just dealing with human nature and and within gaza uh, you know i've seen reports where they deliberately educate the children to hate yeah. jews absolutely and the cycle continues generation after generation that, that, that's sort of the difference and I, and I, I, I'm going to screw it up, but I saw something that was really eloquent and articulate about the difference between Israel and Hamas and religion. But basically, you know, Hamas wants to eradicate the Jews. Israel just wants to keep the Jews safe. But what I, what I would like to see, because of this PR and humanitarian crisis that's like days away, is I would really like to see Israel, and it's going to have to be them, to step up 
the Red Cross access to step up water, to step up to, to be, prior to going in for this ground carnage that's about to happen. I think, and I saw, thought this yesterday, Freddie, they really need to over index on that. It's, it's the right, not only the right thing to do, but I think it would go a long way to be able to say, hey, listen, I don't know if they will do it, Tony, and that's why I wanted to throw it to you. But I think the right thing to do is to over-index on humanitarian aid and and help and do what they can. And I, I don't, what is the reason they won't? Well, their their reason they won't is they say, we will do those things, release our hostages. If you let, yes, yes, that's right. But I think they need to do it even if the hostages, because here's the thing, guys, and I hate to say this out loud, but those people are dead. That, oh, no, just, no, that's they, what, what I said at the beginning. There's yeah. no way to protect all those people. And, and like, it, it's inevitable it's going to happen. And it, it's crushing and it's heartbreaking. And I hate to say it out loud, but they know it. The, the Israeli government knows it. But there's there's well, we a, know it. We, I'm saying everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's a horrible, horrible thing to acknowledge when you see the faces of the families that have lost and, and young women and children. But. For overall, you know, not just PR, but it's the right thing to do to those Palestinians that there's hundreds of thousands of them that are going to die. Um, yeah. And further to that, Tony, uh, to follow this along, this um, this passage to safety through Egypt that they won't open up. What's that all about? What does that say about the Egyptians? What's the issue there? Like, how is that even an issue? What does it Aren't say it? about Palestinians, Fred? That, that, that's the point. The point is... Well, explain the, that. Well, the Egyptians want nothing to do with the Palestinian yeah. mess. They want to have a, a bunch of Palestinian refugees stirring up trouble in Egypt. That's, right. that's been part of the history as well, as, as you guys know. Like in Jordan in 1970, they kicked out all the Palestinians because they were creating trouble in, in Jordan. And mm-hmm. so uh, part of the... Part of the reasoning behind what Hamas did when they did it, because I think they've been planning this for at least a year, if not longer. But the reason why it came about now was because it, it was do or die time. I hate to use that expression because uh, Saudi Arabia was edging towards official recognition of Israel, which mm-hmm. would have been round shifting already. The yeah, Emirates. But why, but why would can you explain that to us? Because we're children. Why was that? I, I'm. What would that have? Why would that have pissed off all these other countries? Well, I think it. It. Uh, it, it. For why do the Palestinians piss them off? No. Because why would Saudi Arabia and Israel moving towards some kind of recognition? Why would that do so much? What would that have lit a fire under Hamas? Why was that such a big deal? So I think it's illustrative of the fact that pa- Palestinians don't count anymore in the minds of the Sunni Muslims who are surrounding them. They, they're just fed up with it. They're done with it. This is what leadership in these countries say about the Palestinians. And and so uh, although they you know officially say we are there for the Palestinian cause and uh, we want a solution so Palestine can have a land, a lot of them have, a lot of the leadership, not, not necessarily the Arab street, but the leadership in these countries have said, you know what? We've got other fish to fry. We have other issues for our own people. We're gonna we're gonna cut a deal as as they have done. Uh, Morocco has done it, uh, and Emirates have done it, etc. With Israel uh, under the tutelage of uh, of the U.S. government, 
under the Abraham Accords yeah. to to live and let live is basically what they're saying, and and that that in the end is would be the death knell for Hamas. I'm not saying for the Palestinians, but for Hamas that what you know that wants from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They want to push all the Jews into the into the water. Uh, they will not have any support anymore amongst their their own brethren, which is what they they feared the most. So they 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 force the issue by this uh, horrendous attack. All right, Tony. I'm sorry, Fred. You want to comment because I wanted to just shift gears quickly before we let Tony go. I've got another. No, I just well, something you said and again about you know the uh, Egyptians don't want Palestinians because they cause trouble and actually force them out of their land. Don't want them back. And I assume that's somewhat accepted, widely accepted. I don't know. It's just interesting that Donald Trump says that about about Mexicans, and he's vilified. And I'm not defending Donald Trump. What's the difference? Political um, uh, terrorism? Is that the distinction? Well, between- part of the difference is Mexicans haven't sworn to kill all the Americans. No, I understand. But, you know, generally in this politically correct world in which we live now, to say that Palestinians cause trouble and we want them out. Again, we can't relate to it because we haven't been part of it. It's just superficially, it's just, it's a disconnect. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not saying that's entirely deserved. Uh, I, right. I'm just saying this is the perception yeah. that I have encountered uh, in, in the Middle East. But, you know, there's a difference between the kind of trouble that Donald Trump thinks Mexicans cause. I, I get it. Um, I get that. Yeah. We've only got a couple minutes left with Tony, so I wanted to uh, let me just shut this down. And um, and by the way, do you have a cold? You sound like you've got a little bit of a cold. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a head cold, guys. Sorry about that. Well, no, no. I've so, worse, is, what's that, COVID? You got COVID. No, it's COVID. Um, okay. COVID's back. COVID is back. Uh, did, did, what do I want to do? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Tony Clement. Hi, guys. Here's an email for Tony. Subject line. Tuesday with Tony from Jeffrey Kilborn. He says, hi, guys. Hi, guys. I'm excited Tony's on your show. Blah, blah, blah. Full disclosure. I shouldn't say blah, blah, blah. Excited that Tony's on your show. Full disclosure. Pierre Polyev is my MP and I am a supporter. Judging by the latest stats, uh, the Conservative Party is sitting at 39% national support. Well into majority territory. Jeff goes on to say, so his messages are resonating with Canadians. Then he says, you, meaning Fred and I, often comment that Polyev has a far-right stink on him. I agree with most of your viewpoints on politics, road rage, and Dan Schlong size. But, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> says Jeff, on that we disagree. Could you please directly raise your concerns that give rise to your feelings about this far-right stink, in quotations, and have comments from Tony there you go. That's the unknown. By the way, he says uh, resting heart rate 72. And then he goes on to describe his bowel movements, as often our listeners do. But I will not sully this conversation with the great Tony Clement. So um, so there you go. We've often, uh, we often say that Polyev has a far right stink. What yeah, and, and that's that's the line that the liberals use too. And I'm not I'm not saying that that's where he got it from. I, I think it's it's something that Pierre Polyev has to overcome with a certain segment of, of the voting population. I don't dispute that, but I think he's doing that. And uh, this uh, the Conservative Party in Canada is one of those rare Conservative parties in the world right now that is more popular amongst young people than it is amongst the elderly. 
Mm-hmm. Why is that? It's because he's talking about the issues they care about: housing, cost of living, uh, you know, being free of crime and chaos. These kinds of things are things that are resonating uh, with uh, people who are striving to to you know make their lives and and to uh, frequently live in urban areas. So all of a sudden, uh, they are looking at. Pierre Polyev in a different light than perhaps previous conservative leaders were looked at, and and he's gaining that kind of traction, which is a really interesting trend. So I think there's still, look, you know, polls are going to go up and down and sideways. We could be two full years before the next election, but uh, I, I think Pierre Polyev stands for something. Uh, and something different that people haven't seen in, in conservatives for a while. Uh, and I think that will continue to be the case. You know, what turns someone into a Trump supporter? We've talked about that. What 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 have you been through that now you think this guy is the answer or, or a Palestinian that all of a sudden supports what Hamas has done? That's a big story in Canada. 18 to 34 year olds now, most of them side with Poliev. So what kind of a statement is that what's going on in Canada? You know, Justin Trudeau was. He was elected the first time because he w- he was going to be the guy for the next generation. Yeah. And he failed, failed miserably. So I'm not am I? Yeah, I am surprised that 18 to 34 year olds now side with Poliev. But I understand where it comes from. Don't you yeah, speaking their language? And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I think he'll continue to do that. Uh, by and large, he sticks to those economic bread and butter issues. And I think that's what's resonating. And I, I, do I think that the housing crisis is going to be solved in two years? Probably not. And, uh, you know, are grocery bills going down? No. So these issues continue to resonate with people. Mm-hmm. You know, being in the opposition, we've talked about this, that is it because you've you have been both opposition and government. Is it easier to be in opposition? I'm I, I say easier. I don't even know what the parameters for easier would be. But, you know, a lot of times it can be because you don't have to have solutions. You just have to point out the deficits in or the, you know, the problems in what the government's doing. Yeah. And I've said on your show before that there's only four words you need to know in opposition. Those bastards did what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, Eventually, uh, you know, you have to come up with solutions. But, you know, when you're you're ready to fight an election campaign, you do have to come up with an alternative set of policies that people really care about. Uh, Because Canadians are dumb. They're they're not going to they're not just going to say, oh, well, Trudeau's bad. Therefore, I'll take Polyev uh, sight unseen. Right. Mm -hmm. He's going to have to continue to he is rolling out policy on on housing and on getting more doctors and nurses into the country and these kinds of things. But he's got to continue to do that. And he will. do that. Yeah, well, I was just going to say quickly, Freddie, for a follow up that that is really the problem. If I were a voter in the U.S., as we always can find a way to circle back mm-hmm. to Trump, because all Trump does is. It's all about grievances and how Hamas wouldn't attack if he was president. But it's never really, and that's why I sort of feel bad for some of his supporters, it's never really what he'll do for them. It's what they can do for him. It's the opposite of JFK. You know, ask what your country can do for me is the Donald Trump. Whereas I do see from Polyev at least an attempt at policy to counter what's going on in the government now. It's going to be interesting. I, you know, I guess I'm diving into U.S. politics, but surely to goodness, people are going to get tired of this whole shtick from Donald Trump eventually. You I, think? I just, 
You would hope so. Yeah. It's still going on. I see that Nikki Haley is rising in, in the also yeah. polls. Maybe that'll mean something. I don't know. But. Mm-hmm. We should qualify here uh, something here, too. When we say Poliev has a far-right stink, I mean, that's... That's him being sucked into an area that maybe he doesn't fully deserve, but a couple of missteps, maybe with the truckers and not saying much through the Alberta election and, you know, um, an audience with that German prime minister created. Well, you know, and I think that's sort of where that comes from. But he let's, can't. Let's, let's be thankful, uh, Fred. I'm glad you mentioned Germany. And Germany, the ultra far right, have 20 percent of the popular vote right now. We don't. We don't really have an ultra far right in Canada. Right. We should... Right. Well, listen, he can shed. He can shed that. Right. Yeah. Well, you know the old thing. If it walks like a Nazi. Just kidding. Just <laughs> kidding. That's a joke, Tony. Tony, um, let me come full circle and thank you again for reaching out to me. That was very. It was unnecessary, but uh, and typically. Con- and and good-natured and and uh, well-intentioned and so glad you could fill in today. Uh, we'll see you in less than a month and uh, appreciate you being on. The, however long you've been on and however long you choose to be on, we certainly appreciate you. Always my pleasure, guys. You're a great program and we all look up to you in the podcast world. Well, that's oh. true. You know what? We... Is that can you maybe talk to the rest of the podcast world and see if they want to come up with like a fund or something? Listen, oh, Tony, a little trophy or something. <laughs> that's what, maybe, that's the, maybe the Conservative Party of Canada would like to be a sponsor. Exactly. There you go. Nicely done. I'll give you the commission on this one. Uh, t- <laughs> Tony Clement, thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Andrew, don't, don't forget, um, and another thing, podcast. And uh, you're a sweet man. And, and we listen, if things really go to shit here, we might call on you earlier than a month, if that's okay. No, no worries, my friends. I'm always there for you. All right, brother. There's Tony Clement. Little uh, Rolling Stones to say goodbye. You know... I know you're not much of a Bible guy, and I'm not religious, but I am a Bible guy. And I used to always think to myself, you know, the Jews in the original Bible, you know, the Bible as the Jews call it, the, you know, not the not the New Testament, but the old one. You know, God said that the Jews are the chosen people, and I was like, man, you know, we're supposed to be such great negotiators, but who who made that deal? Okay, Jews says God. Um, here's the thing: uh, you're our chosen people, but uh, you can't eat bacon. And uh, we're going to lop off part of your dick at birth and everyone will hate you for all time. And, and the Jews should have said, um, is that, is there any other, can we push back on some of this? Really? Mm-hmm. We're the, so this is what we were. We were the chosen people chosen to be, you know, basically vilified for centuries. Yeah. You know what's, uh, I find a little disturbing through all this, how quickly the tide is turning. All those atrocities committed by Hamas. Now oh, yeah. it seems to be. What are those big bad Israelis going to do to all these poor Palestinian oh. people? And, and I get it, but like I'm talking about generally in the media now. Huh? I know. Well, you could even hear the difference yesterday on CNN, um, mm-hmm. which I listen to. I'm in the car all day. And yes, because people don't realize I drive Uber. So I'm in the car all day and um, I don't. But I like to think I do. Can you bring me a burger today? Hmm. I don't do Uber Eats. I actually, oh, okay. I, originally, I wanted to, my company to be called Juber, but not now. <laughs> oh, not now. Not now. But You'd I, I but that, and that's what made me think of my plan mm-hmm. to because I can hear the 
the news cycle now turning. But because they're reporting on the gathering troops and there's no way around it, there's no way around the carnage that's about to happen. So why don't we front load, if I were the Israeli government, I'd say we better front load some goodwill here. Do you think it matters, though? Because for all you've said about, you know, how Jews are targeted and they... Could they do anything to avoid that? You know, there's people just poised, ready to pounce. Only because people, only because it's the Jews. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess the, the, I read an article and the headline was Israelis can't win. And to that mm-hmm. point. So knowing that they can't win, that there's always going to be there, they won't win the PR worldwide opinion thing then i think they should do the right thing i think they should do as much as they can to save as many people as they can to let the and 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 i hate thinking about it and i hate saying it but you know holding out hope that those hostages are going to come home but i also think that's a you know it's also gives them some kind of plausible deniability (laughs) for the atrocities they're about to put on to these people well you know what hamas is doing every day like if you go on ctv news today there's two or three more canadians that have been confirmed dead now what hamas is doing is they're claiming that the stuff being vaulted onto um, gaza city is killing these hostages when you know that's bullshit Mm -hmm. they're killing them and then blaming it on israel that's how sordid this all becomes yeah. And so it gets back to what we said. I mean, to think that you're going to free all those hostages and save every woman and child is just not it's just not realistic and how horrible that is. What scares me and I wish I'd have asked Tony about this too is you know this becomes a regional conflict then does it grow from there? I mean, does this have the potential? For World War Three, we keep hearing that all the time. And what have you heard about Ukraine lately? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm trying to find this thing. I, I just, I, I, I think, like, just to wrap up the, you know, I was thinking how much people you, you thought you, you thought you didn't like us talking too much about Trump, uh, but Trump always provides, you know, comic relief in these times. You know, world leaders are talking about the intricacies we're having discussions about the nuanced goings on there but this is what donald trump's doing instead of keeping terrorists and terrorist sympathizers out of america the biden administration is inviting them in you know why because he's got a boss who's his boss barack hussein obama barack hussein barack hussein obama Remember the great Rush Limbaugh? This is the part I knew you'd love. (laughs) You know, there are not many people in the world who are starting sentences with, remember the great Rush Limbaugh. (laughs) Remember the great Rush Limbaugh? Barack Hussein Obama. Here you go. Jesus. Hussein. Keeps going. Obama. Hello, Lee. Unbelievably, the corrupt Biden Department of Justice recently invited an Iranian-backed judge from Iraq to visit our nation's capital. Isn't that nice? He couldn't have been too impressed with our capital. It looks like shit. (laughs) So, you know, 
That whole dog whistle, Barack Hussein, he said it five times mm-hmm. in that clip, mm-hmm. Barack Hussein Obama, mm-hmm. as though somehow the one of the greatest presidents of our lifetime was somehow associated with something, not, not mm-hmm. just something vaguely Middle Eastern, right? Well, keep talking and all he will be left with is America's morons and simpletons. Is that enough to get him elected? It was last time. Because, I mean, in 2016. Oh, no, I know, but it wasn't wasn't this bad. He wasn't exposed to this extent. Like, it's just disgusting. Just his reaction to what's going on in Israel should be enough to turn anyone anyone with a brain off. And, you know, I'll tell you, right-wing media in the United States is going crazy right now. Newsmax, OAN, Fox, all of them. Because Israel and Netanyahu keep thanking Biden. Like oh, yeah. They're coming yeah, out no, and I saying, know. we want to thank the American people. We want to thank President Biden. Apparently, <laughs> there's a couple of billboards in uh, Tel Aviv right now thanking the American government, thanking President Joe Biden. Thank, thank you, America, for your assistance. Yeah. That's just driving them crazy. Well, it, they, because they want to poke holes in anything Biden is course. doing when it comes to this Israeli. But Israel is doing that for a reason. They're saying, thank you, mm-hmm. letting the world know that mm-hmm. our big brother has our back. Yes, that's what it is. They're just like, you know, oh, it's no, like, of course, like they're at a, they're, in a, they're in a school fight and they want everyone to mm-hmm. know that the biggest, baddest mf Mm-hmm. So but read, it's driving the usual suspects crazy. Oh, yeah, it's got because it's Biden and he's uh-huh. like, you know, again, this is it's pivoting to uh, Trump. But so they don't have a speaker of the house. There's two major wars going on. Um, they have a uh, I don't want to get too minutia of American politics, but they have got days left before they're going to have to fund the government again. It's a continuing, continuing resolution. But the leader of the Republican Party is focused on this. This is a tweet he sent out, I think, two days ago. Perhaps coincidence, or perhaps not, but boxing died when they got rid of the championships rounds. Championship rounds. 13, 14, and 15. In the meantime, we have more important things to think about. <laughs> Fucking! I saw that. I'm like, this is who your guy is in the middle of all of that. No speaker war going on, you know, continuing resolution. This is what he's focused on. He, because something came into his head that championship boxing isn't any good anymore because they got rid of some rounds. (laughs) He really is. uh, Yeah. And uh, Maybe this is all, as I say, a good thing. Maybe anybody that was anywhere close to the center but still lean that way, like they've just had enough. Maybe that's why Nikki Haley is doing a little better in in the polls against him. Wouldn't that be refreshing? Um, He he just needs to be in jail or dead. One of the two. uh, Quick, I I apologize to Tony. I didn't look at the notes. Tony announced recently as a new show called Boom or Bust. It's a new show where he uh, where he's interviewed Robert Picard, who blew the whistle on the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank for being controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, it's um, it's a new show called Boom and Bust Weeknights on the News Forum on Bell, Rogers, Shaw, Telus, and Kojiko. So this is a uh, television uh, broadcast. And I apologize, Tony, for still listening. I apologize. I didn't look at the show notes. I just thought of the podcast. But uh, once again, it's called Boom and Bust Weeknights on the News Forum, Bell, Rogers, Shaw, Tellus, and Kojiko. Very good. Very good. Um, You know, I take... uh, 
<laughs> I take I take Spanish lessons. Uh, I do I do Spanish every day, but on two or three times a week, I'm on a Zoom lesson with a kid from uh, Argentina, Buenos Aires. He's a kid. He's 25 years old. This kid is the perfect tutor for me. I should get him on the show because he's he's really funny. He mm-hmm. makes fun of me all the time. We make fun of each other. He's just he's, we don't take it too seriously. And I I I, I it's just, you know he's like he works six days a week. He's a great kid. Um, and every time I'll say something to him that's a little weird, he says I'm going to tell my girlfriend because it's just like I'm not like any other student he has. So yesterday I had my uh, lesson, and I had seen this article because they're having um, an election in Argentina. And the uh, the guy that's leading is a guy named Javier Malay, who is a, an anar- anarcho-capitalist. I'm not sure what that means. He's leading in the polls. And he has campaigned, and I read this to Franco yesterday. He's campaigned on, among other things, abolishing the country's central bank, scrapping much of the national government, so he's sort of a conservative dude, and legalizing the sale of human organs. <laughs> Which... Mm. Which I thought, I said to Franco, I said, what the fuck is going on there? And, and, and we're talking about this. I'm like, well, how is that part of the platform? And I'll not, I will eradicate big government. And oh, by the way, I'll make it okay for you to sell your kidney. But what, now this is goes to, you know, how these things get taken out of context. This guy, Javier, like years ago was being interviewed on some podcast before he was in politics. And the question came up about human organs. And he sort of said something offhanded, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like just a mm-hmm. comment like that. But this is the story that the worldwide media has jumped on. Oh yeah. And that's as part of his platform. Fuck made me laugh. Well, that, no, I get it. That sort of gets uh, back to, to the whole Poliev having far right stink on him. Yep. You know, some valid, some not. It's just if you don't like him, you don't like conservatives. You jump all over that shit, you know, and you scream it from the from the highest mountain. It's not valid. It's not true. It's not fair. But that's politics. Yeah, that is exactly politics. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. You know, here's the great thing I picked out for both of you uh, that describes sort of the antithesis of Donald Trump. This is a quote from Harry Truman. He said, not all readers are leaders. Not all readers are leaders, but all leaders read. Are readers, yes. Mm. There you go, Dan. Yeah. I want you to keep that in mind. Because yeah. right. if, you le- if you're the leader, as you are, you're the leader of the Peterborough uh, Lightbox Theater, or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Peterborough Theater Guild. Theater Guild. Yeah. As Vice President of Operations. Exactly, VP Ops. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You better be yeah. doing some reading, my friend. Yeah. And, you know, those local theaters like that, I know. You know, it's a lot of hard work. You know, it's struggle to stay afloat. How about one night a week, maybe Saturday, no, maybe not Saturday night, but one night a week, live sex shows in, in Peterborough. Mm-hmm. You know, the generate, you know, the revenue that that would generate for the Peterborough Theater Guild? I uh, I don't know about that anymore. Do you think that? Uh, oh, do you think oh damn! That, uh, live sex shows. Dan. Yeah, live, live, live or, sex shows. Or if you don't want to go that far, there's okay. that there's that group from Australia. Is that even legal? Is that legal? Absolutely. And Peter, it's, oh, it's, sure. Well, if one of the partners is an animal, it's very good because <laughs> no, that's legal. Oh, no, no, we're not like we're not saying that you should. I'm just saying if you want right. to get if you want to get around a lot of red tape, have a donkey. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> or a sheep. But there's that group out of Australia. I think that's where they are from. And they were guests on our show on the edge. Uh, puppetry of the penis. Oh, that's right. Where maybe on not every Friday night, yeah, but uh, once right. a month, you would do a, a fundraiser for the theater on a right. Friday night <laughs> and do some, you know, puppetry um, mm-hmm. with your yeah. uh, with your <laughs> I Remember that? Howard? That was <laughs> yeah. funny. Oh yeah, puppetry of the people. Yeah, the the opening one. You could get some makeup, and you could the first show could be the Green Giant. That's right. right. Hmm. Followed by the Python, followed by... Hey, by the way, speaking of shows, I did watch the first, I guess, 20 minutes of the Mr. Dress Up documentary. Oh, yeah. You guys oh, will yes. love it. You guys will love it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so... It's a lot of big, famous Canadian stars from the kids in the hall to Willem McCormick, uh, Will, that guy from Will and Grace. Tons of Canadian mm-hmm. actors and uh, Peter Mansbridge just commenting on what Mr. Dress Up meant. But what I found out that I did not know, I did not know this, that he started working with Fred Rogers in, in Pennsylvania. But then wow. both both Fred Rogers and Ernie came to Canada. Rogers had a show for a year, uh, two years on CBC, and Ernie was one of the puppeteers on it. And um, then Rogers' contract ran out and Ernie stayed. And Fred Rogers, who's interviewed in this documentary, talked about how he he recommended that Ernie would be the perfect guy to take over or to do a, a children's show. Hmm. I didn't realize that they, they were that that close. They I, were besties. They, they were best they, buddies. I, I heard that they had worked together, but I yeah. didn't realize that, that even uh, he had come up and worked in Canada. I didn't know that. Huh. Just think if they were all still alive and thriving at this point, they probably have a podcast together. Mr. Dress Up, Green Giant, um, you know, Fred Rogers, Uncle Bobby. <laughs> be great miss uh, miss uh, what's her face from romper room <laughs> romper room romper room lady yeah that yeah, would be great dan um are you uh, prepared now for the highlight of this program oh yeah for sure yeah. now here's to a fella named dan duran <laughs> a hell of a guy with a hella big wang the quintessential anchor man his voice is nice and low <gasps> Dandoran, the anchorman comes As for credentials, he has none Can't tell a headline from his bum But his voice is nice and low Dandoran, the anchorman's here He's prone to falling off his chair But he's got a big wang So he don't care And his voice is nice and low My voice is nice and low And now live from Dan and Lisa's matrimonial home See, I'm trying to give you, you know yeah, matrimonial home. Yeah, because wow. yeah, when you know if, uh-huh. if things go south, you're gonna need some like, hey, I'm. This is my place too, you know. If we're going out there, <laughs> uh, here's a movie anchorman Dan Duran. All right, so I have uh, three or four stories here. You you pick the headline while right. we'll uh, drill down. There's a p- political terrorist, Jim Jordan. Talk about that. Yeah. There's a story of a, uh, a blank canvas as art, whether or not that, that qualifies or not, or uh, the, the, the story of a sex doll snatcher. A well, sex doll with yeah. a snatch, you said? <clears throat> well, they all have snatches. <laughs> um, those new, those real dolls, I've never seen one in person of you. No a real, like a blow up one. Or no, they're, the, well, no, like, they're, they're like, called the real doll. Uh, oh, they're no. like ten thousand dollars. They're they're so lifelike. It's like that's why they're called real dolls. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, Dan. There's more sense to this story than yeah. yeah. No, I've never seen one. Well, what do you, Dan? What's your what's your favorite of those three? 
Uh, they're all uh, they're all uh, stories that I've worked on, so they're all favorites of mine. I don't know. I, I suppose because we uh, landed on the sex doll part that we should maybe start there. All right, then. Let's go to uh, Dan Duran's uh, music here. Dan Duran with a sex doll story. So a Nebraska funeral worker collected a, a body of a dead man. Uh, in an apartment, but later returned to that apartment, falsely claiming that he had, was asked by the sheriff to retrieve a sex doll from the home. So apparently he returned. Uh, the uh, property manager wouldn't let him in because uh, he was suspicious about the the whole story. And then the property manager found this guy in the locked apartment with his clothing disheveled. And so the, the guy was arrested. I guess he was trying to, but you know, a lot of questions there. It's like the guy that died obviously had a sex doll. It was in sight of the, uh, of the uh, guy who, uh, you know, the body taker aware. So this guy saw the body and then saw the sex doll and then decided to return for the sex doll. Perhaps, uh, well, if it's $10,000, I had no idea. Maybe well, that's, I don't know uh, if it was like, I, I can't like, listen, it's the, the sex doll technology has gone a long way since the blow up doll. Yeah. I don't know what doll, uh, level this guy had. I'm just saying that those blow up dolls were useless. I mean, the seams would give way with any pressure. What? 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 What's going to say? What? 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 Preach. <laughs> Preach, brother. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, I got bored with my, by the third or fourth sex doll, I was so bored with the whole thing. <laughs> Do you know what? You know, you know what they did? Do you know what they did? They stopped. You guys may remember this. Another person that came in to visit our show. I don't know if you were there, Dan. When they they decided that most of the parts of the sex doll were superfluous, so they just started selling like an ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you remember no like just the, just the torso? But uh-huh. I believe it was just. I don't even think it was the vagina. It was just if you wanted to have sex with this torso's ass. Uh, I don't remember, but uh, that was. Well, uh, Part of HumbleInFredRadio.com folklore, too, is remember we, uh, the Fleshlight, remember they were a sponsor? They were a sponsor for you. I still and probably I, have some oh. downstairs. And this, just this thing that you put over your wang, and it was like, I, I was amazed at how many people wanted them. How many people asked for them? Oh, yeah. Like a guy I knew, like, hey, could I get one of those? And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> 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 fine. <laughs> I'll so see maybe it's more of a conversation piece. Now there yeah. was a bunch of people that wanted them to, for for use, obviously. Yeah, and hey, it's only sex, right? It's exactly. Only, like, whatever, whatever. Um, I was with uh, I was with uh, I believe a lady friend at the time. I, I took it for a test drive. We tried it out just to see what it was like. It's not, you know, I will be honest with you. It's not great. I mean, it's okay. And listen, if you were in prison, well, they're no longer a sponsor. You could be truthful. Yeah, it wasn't great. <laughs> and if you were like, if you were like, you know, in prison or you didn't have anything else to do, it'd be fine. But Dan, so you could have improved on the design, is what you're saying? No, the design was fine, and um, and they were a great sponsor. They gave us actual real money and uh, flashlights to give away. Oh yeah, we had all bought. There might be some still down there. For I just all said that. There, I guarantee you, there's somewhere. Oh really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, somewhere okay. in this house, there's flashlights. Dan, I'll tell you what. Next time you're over, I'll uh, send you home with one. And I'm not sure if they make them in your size. Don't yeah, know. Right, Howard. Come on. As if. As if that's going to work. As if. <laughs> As if. As if. Preposterous. Mm. Um, all right. We're not doing a two-hour show today. So um, okay. we're going to wrap it up. And tomorrow we'll begin 
year 13. Uh, we'll have some announcements soon about uh, some new sponsors and a returning old sponsor, which is going to be cool. Uh, Lumby will be here tomorrow. We'll talk um, what the reaction in France is like for uh, this crisis in the Middle East. And we're going to get into the um, Bill C-11. And they'll be fun, too. You know what? I promise you all, every day we'll have some humble and Fred fun. Okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. What's Lumby doing? Why, why couldn't he show up today? Well, why don't you Doctor's tune in? Doctor's appointment. Yeah, why don't you oh, tune in okay. tomorrow? Or better yet, oh, why don't you call him? Okay. I'll do that. Have you spoke to him since we talked? No, I don't know how to get a hold of him, really. I feel like I have to make an appointment with him. What, what do you mean you don't know how to get a hold of him? Well, do you, he's do you in not France. have? A, I don't want to. I know, but you not have. Are you, are you not on WhatsApp? Yeah. So why can't you just say send him a note? And say, hey, Lumby, how you doing? Let's uh, get together on WhatsApp or uh, Zoom. Get into a Zoom chat with him. Right. But do you have to make an appointment with him? Like, can you just call him? Like, I would call you. Say, hey, what's what's happening? Well, why not? Does he do that? I don't know why. Why would he, you not be able to do that? I you know, feel you like know, I have to make an listen, I'll tell you what, let's let's do this tomorrow because I'll we'll make an appointment with <laughs> <Yeah>. WhatsApp. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about this tomorrow because this is gonna be fucking <laughs> unbelievable. Right. This episode of Humble and year, Fred was one year, to you by. one year since you've spoken to him. Over a year. That's weird. Actually. Yeah, it is weird. Since you've known I him for about that. 40 I mean, I listen to his podcast all the time. I guess I feel like I'm, uh, you know, right. like you know up, what? up on Lumbian. Let's just let's just keep let's just keep it professional. <laughs> <clears throat> this episode of yeah. Humble and Fred was brought to you by the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Boron One, EVNet.ca, Palma Pasta, and Stretch Lab Toronto. For contests and comments, we read all of our emails. So here you go, Humble and Fred at HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Humble and Fred at HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Tell us what you think. Come on. Liking, subscribing, that really helps us out. Really appreciate it as well. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And remember, hunting hyenas to bring home the guts is really not necessary. You enjoy every goddamn day. A little up the road from the habitations of the towns we know. A place we saw the lights turn low. The jigsaw jazz and the get fresh flow. Pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts. Two turntables and a microphone. Bottles and cans and just clap your hands and just clap your hands. Mm-hmm.